Well, good morning. Welcome to Livingstone Calvary Chapel. I think you guys all know where you're at, but um, welcome. Uh, this morning we are going to finish the book of Revelation. Yeah, 22, chapter 22, verse 6 is where we're going to be picking back up this morning. Um, I think when we started this uh, uh, book several weeks ago, um, talked about how it's possible that the Lord could come back before we finish. Today might be the day, right, Rich? Then we wouldn't care about what happens on Tuesday. <laughs> you know, we should care, but we should not be moved, guys. And just to, as, as by way of announcement, and we're going to pray for this, no matter what happens, the Lord's in control, and He's our hope, and He's our assurance, and he's our Savior, and um, ultimately, guys, he's our Lord, right? And, and we will walk with joy and peace no matter what, but if you haven't voted, please do get out and vote. Um, and um, I want to pray this morning before we get started. I'm also going to pray for um, the E-Free Church this morning. They're on our list, Pastor Jim there and others helping to lead as they gather together and pray for our time in our and our study through as we finish this book, and we can pray like we read here also, come Lord Jesus, come, and uh, that would be a wonderful thing to see today, to participate in, um, and then pray for our nation and the upcoming election, so let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together where we can study your word. Lord, we, we can be told what the truth is, to know the truth in our hearts and in our minds, and then, Lord, to walk in that truth. And I pray, God, that you would help us to do that in light of the times that we live in, Lord, where the truth is suppressed and forsaken and hated. And I pray, God, that um, that would not be so with us, in word or in deed. And Lord, we pray for our nation. And Lord, we know that you put us in what we believe, and I believe, to be the greatest nation ever, not even just now, but ever. And Lord, we've been given such blessing, such opportunity. And Lord, truly, you've used this nation to influence and shape so many other countries in this world that we live in. And I pray, God, um, as we vote and choose um, the next president and vote, Lord, and choose representatives and um, so many different ballot issues there that are so important and dear to your heart, Lord. I pray, God, that we would vote with your heart. I pray, God, that we would know your heart. And we pray, God, that you would continue to have mercy and grace poured out upon us as we wait for your return. Lord, we know that that's not conditional to who or who is not leading this country because ultimately, Lord, you're in control. You tell us, Lord, that you're the one who um, appoints kings and rulers. And Lord, we're grateful that we have a heavenly citizenship. We pray that we would continue to walk with that knowledge, Lord, as we wait for your return. And we pray for our brothers and sisters over at the E-Free Church, Lord, as they meet together today. We pray, God, that you would strengthen them in the knowledge and understanding of who you are. Lord, that they too would walk in the truth and live according to the truth. Lord, that you give Pastor Jim the courage and strength that he needs, Lord, to lead that church through you. 
Lord, give him ears to hear. Father, give him wisdom. And Lord, may that church walk in unity together in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, chapter 22, verse 6, it says this, Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And so I think John here, guys, what we're reading is, is his reflection of the whole which he's, been, which he's seen, which, we, which we've kind of taken a long time to discern and to go through. But remember, this all happened in, in, in one place at one time for John, and, and knowing that it's, that it's been complete in what he's been shown, John's response to this is, is uh, he's overwhelmed, right? And so he says that, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, Jesus says in verse 12, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to, in, to, the, to, the, to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and adulterers and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the roots and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears these words of the prophecy of this book, and anyone, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of, the prof- of, this, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, once again, surely I am coming Quickly, you think he wants us to know that? Amen, even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen, amen. So last week when we finished talking, when we finished last week, we were talking about the eternal dwelling place and what it's gonna be like for those of us who choose to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, right? And the last thing we read about in verse five, if you wanna look there, is that those who receive God's grace and forgiveness 
Through faith in Jesus, it says that we are going to reign forever and ever with him. When the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 11, um, or excuse me, chapter, chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, he also wrote about this same thing. And this is what he said, listen, because he, 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 he gives it a little different context in, in, in regards to an admonition. He says, this is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. And, that, and Paul's talking about you know, that old man dying and living in Christ. And, and if we die to ourselves, we're still, we're still going to live. We're going to live with him. And he says, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. Speaking of this future things that we're reading about. But then he also goes on and says this. He says, if we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And in light of this, as we conclude our study this morning through the book of Revelation, I want to point out that when we think about heaven, guys, okay, when we think about heaven, we need to see it as something more than just a destination for those who believe in Jesus for us. It's more than just a destination. We need to, we need to recognize that. And, um, and what, what we need to see is that we need to allow, as we read and study through these things, we need to allow for this eternal dwelling place that we are looking forward to to, to be our motivation. Okay? Not, it needs to be something that we think of as more than a destination. We need to allow it to be our motivation because of what, what, what Paul writes to Timothy because in that, with that motivation, there's a motivation to faithfully endure this temporary life, right, this life that's passing away as we boldly walk in truth while loving God and loving others and seeking to live holy and righteous lives, walking in truth. Because the realization that we're going to reign forever in a heavenly dwelling place and a desire for it will make a difference in our lives today as we wait for Jesus' return. And in Hebrews chapter 11 I love this. There's a list of men and women of faith who were motivated in the same way. Motivated to walk with God and serve him in light of the promise of this eternal dwelling place that we're being told about. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16, speaking of these Old Testament saints, it says this. He says, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, meaning in this life. He goes to say, but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them, and they embraced them. So right now, we're not taking hold of those promises that we're reading about right now. We're not participating in them right now. They're laid up for us, but yet we can take hold of them like these Old Testament saints that we're, that we're told about, is that they, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, and so consequently, they embraced them and confessed this, that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind the country from which they had come, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire, they desire, do we desire, a better country, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. And he has prepared a city for them. The point is, is the assurance of heaven that we're reading about and all the wonderful details that are listed here and told to us about this eternal dwelling place, it's intended to encourage us. 
It's intended to encourage us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus. And in the remaining verses, guys, of this final chapter, we find that there are three things. In addition to the encouragement to, to, to persevere, to continue, there are some instructions that we must take heed of, instructions that we're called to continue in in light of Jesus' return. That's what we read of in this final chapter. And the very first thing that we're instructed to take heed of, to continue in, is to keep God's word. If we want to remain faithful, we need to keep God's word. If we need to stay focused on the life that's to come, we need to keep God's word. If we want to walk in the truth, as we love God and love others and seek to live holy lives, then we need to keep God's word. Listen, in verses 6 through 9, this is where we read it and what we're told about. And we'll draw from these verses, and I'll show you. It says, Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angels to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, here Jesus says it, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, see, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and, your, and of your brethren and of the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Now, as we look at this contextually, we see that, that as John's experience of being shown all these amazing things that, that must take place shortly, right? Because that's how it kind of begins, the book of Revelation. Let me show you about these things that must take place shortly. As it all comes to an end, this angel who is now with John declares something to him in verse 6. He declares that these words, the things that have been spoken to him, are faithful and true. In other words, Everything that John had seen, everything that John had heard, everything that John was told to write down in this book for us to read, everything about it is true. It's a sure thing. So when we read this angelic declaration, we have to see like John was receiving it, and as we need to receive it, we must see that that it's really a call to believe. When someone says, this is the truth, what are, they, what are they asking you to do? To believe them, right? And the belief that we have is more than existential. It's just not a thought or a feeling. It's, 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 it's an action or a reaction by which we live our lives by. It's a call to believe. It's a call for us to put our faith and trust in what has been revealed as we've studied through this to us. And if we choose to believe that God, who cannot lie, has declared all of these future events as real things that will come to pass, then we can trust all the prophecies that found in the book of Revelation. We can trust that they will come to pass just like all the other prophecies that are found in the Bible that have come to pass, by the way, with 100% accuracy. It's not 80%. It's not 75%. It's not mostly reliable. It's not mostly true. It's 100% true. It's 100% reliable. 
And the point is, God, who loves us, has revealed his future plans for us and for the rest of creation, and he wants us to believe what he has made known to us. So he sent this last angel, out of all the other angels that we've read about, he sends this one angel with this one specific message to testify to the truth. Could you imagine have that, that angel's job? It's like all these angels get to come and share all these amazing, wonderful things and reveal these visions to John and carry out the, the, the judgment of God. And, and God says, hey, you, go tell them that it's the truth. <laughs> That's what's taking place. And I'm sure this angel wasn't bummed. You know, it's like, it's the truth. Go tell them it's the truth. Why? So that we might be assured and called to put our faith in them and what's been revealed. And this is so important for us to pause upon, so important for us to consider because God has given us an accurate and truthful account of how it's all going to end, and he's given us an accurate and truthful account about, the very, about two very different eternal destinations, about how it's all going to end and about two very different eternal destinations. Not only to encourage us, right, but to motivate us. To encourage us and motivate those of us who believe, but also in order, here's the, here's the key, also in order that we might warn the unbeliever of what they will go through during the tribulation and to reveal what they will miss out on when they are imprisoned in the place of torment if they refuse to repent of their sins and believe in in, in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Believe that he is the Son of God. Now, with this declaration of truth set in our minds, the words of Jesus' promised return is recorded next in verse 7. Okay? So with this, with this declaration of truth set in our minds, then Jesus speaks. And he says, I'm coming I'm coming quickly. We're reminded of his return two other times in this chapter, once again in verse 12, and then finally in verse 20. And in all three of these verses, Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. <clears throat> and this is the same promise of coming quickly that is re recorded in the very beginning of this book, back in chapter 3, verse 11. You can look if you want, where Jesus comforted the church in Philadelphia who had kept his command to persevere by telling them, Jesus spoke to them and told them that he was coming quickly. That was the, the encouragement to, the, to this persecuted church. Now, the word quickly that is used in all four of these instances, back in Revelation chapter 3 and three other times here in, the, in, 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 in this last chapter, all four of these, these, these instances, that word quickly is the same Greek word, taku. And it, and it means without delay. And, 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 and so in regards to Jesus' quick return, what we're really being told is that when the prophesied events surrounding his return begin to take place, the ones that we've been reading about, they will come to pass without any delay. Once they start, they're not going to stop until they're completely fulfilled. In other words, they are connected like links in a chain. And once they're all set in motion... It won't be long before Jesus' return. Some people have compared this word to like what we might see as dominoes being stacked in a line. Once you hit it, it's gonna, it's, there's no stopping it. 
They're all going to come down. And I think this is interesting in light of the fact, guys, that we've already seen many of these end-time prophecies that are tied to the second coming of the Messiah already come to pass in our lifetime. We've seen many of them. And many Bible scholars believe that, that, that it was with the reformation of, of Israel as a, several, as a sovereign nation back in, in, in May 14th, 1948, they believe that that was the very first domino, the very first link in the prophetic chains of events that we now see coming past around us on a daily basis. Therefore, we have many good reasons, guys, to be looking for his return. Many good reasons to be expecting that the end is near. And in light of Jesus' return, what are we told? We're told in verse 9, look, to keep the words written in this book, and what will be the result? We'll be blessed. We'll be blessed. Now, if you remember at the very beginning of this book, back in chapters 2 and 3, there are these seven messages that are written to the seven churches who are in Asia Minor. And in these letters, there are the words of Jesus who give specific encouragements and specific warnings for the church to apply to their lives, for us today to apply to our lives. And these words of God are things that we must keep and apply to our lives so that we will be blessed. And, and, and really, this is the case with all of God's word. It's not just these words here. It's the whole word of God. It's the whole counsel of God that we cling to. Remember in James chapter 1, verses 21 through 25, we're instructed, listen, it says, we're instructed to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and to receive with meekness, with humility, the implanted word of God, which is able to save our souls. And James goes on, he says this in, in conjunction with that. He says, but, but listen, be, be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone's just a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror, for he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. In other words, we look in the mirror and when we see something that's wrong, what do we do? Typically, we fix it. You comb your hair, you wipe your face, whatever. I didn't hear that. <laughs> and, and such is the case with God's word. When we see something that's wrong, we need to seek to make it right. We need to seek to make a change. And it says that at the end of this in verse 25, James writes and he says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it He's not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. So for the purpose of remembering, in order that we might be blessed doers who heed the warnings and keep the words of instructions found in this book, I want to take a minute to look at the words that Jesus gave to the seven churches back in Revelation chapter 2. And three. Now, I'm going to do this in a very summarized matter, okay? And if you're taking notes, there are going to be key words I'm going to point you to that, that, in, that, that we can focus on in, in regards to keeping God's word, to being a doer of what he says as we wait for his return. The first letter, which was written to the church of Ephesus, remember, this was a church that had left their first love. We see that Jesus' word to them was simply return. 
to return. The second letter written to Smyrna, the church in Smyrna, were to those who were being persecuted for their faith. And Jesus told them to endure and that they would receive the crown of life. The third letter was to the church in Pergamos, a compromising church, and Jesus told them to be faithful. The fourth letter was to the church of Thyatira, to those who were corrupt. There was the corrupt church, and Jesus' word to them, his instruction to them was to repent and to hold fast. The fifth letter was to the church in Sardis who experienced a spiritual death, is what we're told. And Jesus told them to strengthen those things which still have life. The sixth letter was to the church in Philadelphia, and and this was the faithful church, those who were faithful. And Jesus commanded them to go through the open door. And the seventh letter written to the Laodiceans was to those who were lukewarm, the lukewarm church. And Jesus told them, he said this, he says, be either hot or cold, lest I vomit you out of my mouth. So this morning, as we take this admission to keep, this admonition to keep God's word and looking at it as we summarize some of the things that has been spoken to the church, to us today, this morning, if you find yourself in a place where you need to return, where you need to endure where you need to be faithful or where you need to repent or where you need to strengthen those things which still have life or in the place where you need to go through the open door that the door that God has opened or need to get serious in your walk with God I would encourage you with the knowledge of the Lord's return being near with the hope of eternity and the assurance of heaven, I encourage you to keep God's word by walking and living in obedience to it. And receive God's blessing that comes with your obedience by remembering that Jesus is coming quickly. Verse 8, we read on as we close out this chapter, and it says, it says, Now I, John, saw, and again, I heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of Before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the word of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of this prophecy of this book, for this time is at hand. And he, verse 11, who is unjust, let him who is, let him who let him who is unjust, or he, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still, and he who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. So it's been exciting, I think, to go through these last few chapters and get a glimpse of what is waiting for us when God will make all things new, don't you think? It's some hopeful stuff to look forward to, especially when we see so much corruption in the world that we live in today, so much despair and discouraging things. And even though we're given many details describing what it's going to be like, like we talked about last week, I think it's hard for us to really imagine, even, even when we can let our imaginations run wild, it's hard for us to imagine all that God has waiting for us. In fact, I love what the Apostle Paul wrote about 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when he talks about a time when he was caught up to, to paradise and he explains this, that even the things that he heard, even not, not even the things that he saw, but even the things, he said, even just the things that I heard while I was there was so mind-blowing, he said that it would be an injustice to even try to describe them. And in light of this, I can only imagine what it must be like for John, as we read this, to have seen all of these things with his own eyes, and then to have this angel come and say to him, listen, I know they're mind-blowing things, but they're true, right? These things that are our future reality. And apparently John was so overwhelmed by all this that he, we're told that he fell down, and he started to worship the angel. And, and, and um, this was the second time that John had done this. The first time was back in, in 19 when we kind of began the shift about what was coming in regards to the blessings that are waiting up for us in verse 10 when he reacted the same way to the angel who was declaring some of the wonderful things that were revealed about the marriage feast of the Lamb. Remember? In both of these times, the angels told John to stop worshiping them and to worship God. And this reminds us, I think, again this morning, that God's the only thing that we're called to worship. No other idol before him. No other God before him. No other thing before him. And one of the things that this angel said was, do not seal the words of this book because the time for these prophecy, the thanks for the time for these prophetic things is at hand. In other words, he says they're, they're here. This means that this book is left spiritually open and as a result is able to be understood by anyone of us who desires to read it, by anyone who desires to read it and, know, and to know what it says. But it does not necessarily mean, guys, that all of the truths, all of its truths are lying right on the surface. And I think we've seen that as we've gone through it, right? Everything is, all the truths are not lying right on the surface. In fact, as we've been going through this book several times, I've explained that in order to fully understand this book, a person must dig into and have some kind of knowledge and understanding of what the Old Testament says. And this is because the Old Testament is key, is a key, the key that reveals and explains many of the symbolic things that have been spoken to us in this book. And when we look to the Old Testament, there's no need then for us to guess or rely, for that matter, on any other person's opinion or interpretations to what these symbolic things actually represent and what they actually mean. Remember, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, it says this. It tells us that no prophecy of God is up for private interpretation. And so, for me, that simply means if God gives a prophecy and, and, and he's going to give a, an explanation, he's going to reveal what it means. And if he doesn't, then you just don't get to know. It's not the right time. And we look back to the book of Daniel, and the times Daniel was revealed to things, and he said, seal this up, for now is not the time. And so many times I think people take the liberty with God's word when they don't understand it, or, or don't have a clear explanation for what God's word says, and, and goes, and, and, can't, and, and they feel... Like if they just don't, if they're, if they're somehow showing people short, if they just say, hey, it's just a mystery we don't know yet. It's a mystery we don't know yet. And they take this liberty with God's word that shouldn't be taken. And there's this, this warning at the end of this chapter about doing that. But listen, no prophecy is God, of God is up for in private interpretation, meaning no one has the right to take God's word and interpret it according to their own opinions, much, any one of us as well, in our own lives, in our own opinions, our own thoughts, or our own ideas. We can't make it say what we want to make it say, that we feel justified for how we decide to live our lives. It stands on its own. 
In fact, some of the last words, as I already pointed and found in this book, it warns us to never add or to never take away from the words of God. And these warnings, I don't know about you, when I read of them, they speak of a horrible consequence for those who, who, who do. And a reminder for us that the whole world, this is a, this is a reminder for us, I think, to, to remember that the whole word of God is sacred. It's sacred. It's meaning it's, it's, it's not to be messed with, touched with in that sense where we can go and, and, and twist it to, to say something that we want it to say other than what it already says. And so the reading and the studying and the teaching of it needs to be done with great care. Therefore, in regards to what the Word of God says and, 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 and what the Word of God means, we should never try to change it. Rather, what our job is is to receive it. Receive it simply. Believe it completely and be changed by it daily that summarizes it for me as we trust in and live by it. Listen, Proverbs chapter 3 or 30 verses 5 through 6 wraps it up and says this. It says, every word of God is pure. It is, this is cool, he is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you. And ultimately what he says, and you be found a liar. Because God's word is truth, and the truth will be made known over and over and over again. I don't know if any of you guys, this is on a side note, got a book in the mail. It's called The Sunday Law. Did you guys get that? Throw that in the garbage. <laughs> Burn it. Use it as toilet paper. I don't care. But that's what it's worth. It's exactly what we're reading about here. And, and if you study out God's word, you'll see that that person who wrote that book has a clear agenda that is not rooted in the truth. And that person is, is found to be a liar. And, and I'm just not knocking just that one thing. There's plenty of things out there. But, but don't come to God's word with an agenda in your heart or in your mind lest you miss out on the blessing that God says he has for us. So, verse 11, as we go on, says, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, verse 12, again, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city. Now, as we, wanna, as we continue on, I want to point out that I think maybe verse 11 is the most sobering verse in all of the book of Revelation. And you're like, that's a profound statement when you think about everything that we've read. But remember when we were talking about last week, one of the things that I said we'll see in this chapter is, is that um, it's about, the, as is the book of Revelation, it's about people's choices. And when everybody has made their, their decision, God's going to finalize it. He's going to ratify it. And I think that's really what we're reading about here. And, 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 and this verse, which is found at the end of this book within the context of verse 12, where we read for the second time of Jesus' promised return. And in light of this, we see that verse 11 is declaring the fact, this fact, that a decision a person makes, okay, a decision a person makes to follow Jesus or to reject him, and people do that, right, as we read here, in order to follow Satan, at this time, those decisions are going to be made final. At what time? At Jesus' return. 
In light of this, it needs to be said that we must fully understand the plan that, that plans, it, we, it's been said, we must fully understand that God's plan for men to be saved is singular. Let me say that again. God's plan for man to be saved is singular. What does that mean? It means this. There's only one way for a person to be forgiven of their sins and to be saved from the debt of eternal death that is owed as a result of sin. One way. And according to what the Word of God makes known to us, God's way for salvation is clear. It's by grace through faith in Jesus alone. And the choice that a person makes to accept or to reject God's Son as their Lord and Savior, that choice will be the sole determining factor in their eternal destination and destiny. Therefore, when Jesus returns, when he returns to judge, there will be no going back on the decision that a person has made. It's not like you're in line. Have you ever been in court, traffic court? I have. I've been in other courts too. And, and you usually there's like, you, you don't want to be the first person. Because you, you get an idea of what kind of mood the judge might be in. And whether he's like letting people get off a little easier or not. And, and, and if you're watching that, you may come in there and like, yeah, I'm going to fight this. And, then, and, you re, and the judge slams the gavel on a few people and you're like, maybe I'm just going to beg for mercy. You, you, you know, you, you change your mind halfway through. Yeah, some of you guys know. I do too. You reconsider. Guys, there's no reconsidering in this, this, at this time. That's what we're being told. But up until that time, people have a decision. There's hope. And a choice that a person makes to accept or, or to reject Jesus, reject God's Son, Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's the determining factor. Therefore, when Jesus returns to judge, guys, there's no going back on a decision, no matter how much regret or how much remorse is, ex- is expressed at that time. Now, as we read on, we see that the next thing that we're instructed to take heed of and continue in in light of Jesus' return is this. It's our responsibility to serve Jesus while we wait. That's what we see in these verses. We must keep God's word, living according to it as we wait. And we need to see that we have a responsibility to serve Jesus as we wait for his return. So when Jesus says this, look, he says, my reward is with me. I'm coming soon, right? And my reward is with me. It reveals the fact that God is intimately aware of our service or our lack of service to him. And nothing we will do will ever be done in vain if it's done for him. The Bible teaches us that as we walk or the Bible teaches us, just like we talked about last week, that, that at the judgment seat of Christ, all believers will be judged according to their works. And rewards will be given out to those who have served Jesus faithfully. These works that we will be rewarded for are all the good works, the Bible tells us, that God has prepared for us to walk in. 
And it's our responsibility to walk in them. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, we are God's workmanship. Our lives are no longer our own. They're His. And if we live or if we die, we do so for Him, for His kingdom, for His glory. We are His workmanship. He made us these new things, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, anytime we're talking about works, it's important to point out, just so this can be said, that, that, that good works, these good works that God has appointed for us to walk in, has nothing to do with our salvation. Amen. And the Bible makes this clear in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that we're saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. It is the free gift of, gift of God, not of works, simply because if it was, we would be boasting for all eternity. In fact, Jesus explained to his disciples that, only, that, that the only work a person needs to do in order to receive eternal life is to believe in the one whom God sent to do the work for us. And that was Jesus, right? John chapter 6, verses 27 to 29. It says, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. And then they said to him, his disciples, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. However, listen, and this is in the context of what we now read in the second admonition found at the very end of the book of Revelation. When we believe in Jesus for salvation, you know what happens? We then rely upon him. We cling to him and we trust in him with all of our life. And if we're doing this, we will serve him by doing or walking in the works that he's appointed for us to do. And the bottom line is, is the expectation of our Lord and Savior return, the expectation, the, the, the assurance and expectation of our Lord and Savior's return should produce a desire inside of us to live our lives in accordance to God's will and in service to Him. And this, this is what the parable of the talents is all about in Matthew chapter 25. I'm not going to go read that again to you today, but I would encourage you, if you're struggling with this, if you're feeling that you're, you're coming up short in this area of your life, go read Matthew chapter 25 again. And the fact that Jesus, that, that, that Jesus our master, is going to judge and, and, and in doing so reward the acts of service that we did for him, it should motivate us should it not, as we wait for his return, to live for him. So if we really believe that Jesus is coming soon, not only will we be keeping his word, but guys, we will be faithfully serving him and doing and walking in his commands. And then lastly, in verse 14, as we wrap this up, no, not quite, close. Verse 14, it says, again, a blessed, happy or blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city, but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. That's one of the reasons why I keep emphasizing the truth. The opposite of a truth is, 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 is a lie. It's a deception. 
And, and we either lovers of truth or we're, we, 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 we're with those who love and practice the lie. And in light of that, Jesus says, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angels to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star, and the spirit and the bride, meaning us. Holy Spirit and then the bride, us, say come. And let he who hears says, say come. And let him who thirsts Come, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely, freely. And every time we look, I think, like we read here in Jesus making this declaration about himself, every time we read, <clears throat> every time we look at the different titles given to Jesus, we see some really cool things about who Jesus is. We get to know him more, understand him on a different level. And in these verses, we're pointed, I think, to both the humanity and the deity of Jesus, that he's fully man and fully God. To the fact that Jesus, who is God, came in the flesh to save mankind. So when Jesus says, I am the root and the offspring of David, it's first and foremost a reference to his national title as, as a Hebrew, as a Jewish person. Furthermore, when Jesus says, then goes on, that he is also the bright and the morning star, he's kind of opening our view. He's expanding our view of him as this title is a reference to more of a universal name. And in regards to this national title, this is where it speaks to his humanity. Of his humanity, it refers to his humanity, but also of his majesty and of his glory as there's a reference to his deity. In other words, as the root of David, Jesus is saying he is the one who brought David into existence. And in doing so, he's claiming to be the creator of all things. Remember, before David was, I am, right? And Jesus is saying this by that. And on the other hand, Jesus is also called the offspring of David, the root and the offspring, and one go, how can you be both? How can you be the father and a descendant? It's because you're, you're Jesus, God in the flesh, right? And he's pointing out that he came into this world born of a Jew, specifically, prophetically speaking, from the line of King David. And so both the deity and the humanity of Jesus are being made evident here. Now the morning star is a name that is used to announce the arrival of the of the new day, of the new day. And when Jesus comes to rapture his church, not yet, okay. When Jesus comes to rapture his church to take us to be with him, right, he will come as the morning star. Why? Because it'll be a new day. It's a new beginning. And the response of the Holy Spirit who is now living in, in us and, 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 and is also among us, but in us, who will also be taken away at that time, the Holy Spirit says, come. The Holy Spirit says, I'm ready. I want to go back to be there as well. Come. So the Holy Spirit and the church of Jesus, the Jesus' bride and the church both say come. But there's also this invitation in verse 17 I love this. Still, even at this point, at this time, God's still calling people to come to him. For all who desire to partake in this free gift of salvation, there's this call to come to receive the water of life freely. It's still free, even up to this moment. Receive it. Receive it. Verse 20, it says, He who testifies to these things 
So surely I'm coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Debbie, if you and the worship team want to come back up, we're going to end with this. Three times in this closing, this closing chapter, Jesus makes mention of his return. And he does so in order to encourage those of us who believe, but also, guys, it's a warning to the unbeliever. It's an encouragement to the believer and a warning to the unbeliever. And in light of this encouragement for those of us who believe, the encouragement is, is, is for us to be living expectantly for his return. Are you living expectantly for his return? One of the main evidences of that is you'll have joy. You'll have hope. You'll be blessed. There's many other things, but if that's not in your life, then maybe it's because you're not living living and looking expectantly for his return. And how do we do this? By keeping his word, by serving God, and by walking according to the good works that he's been pointed us to, but also by calling out to the unbelieving world. This is the last thing. Are you calling out to the unbelieving world? The Holy Spirit of God is inside of us. And this is part of what God's desire is, right? For those who are un those who are un, in unbelief to come to faith, to be saved. Calling out to an unbelieving world to come and to receive the grace and forgiveness that we have already freely received. And this is the third and final thing that we're encouraged to take heed of and to continue in as we wait expectantly for the Savior's return. Guys, this letter was written 2,000 years ago. And the Bible tells us that the only reason why Jesus has delayed his return is so that people will be saved. If God's waiting, he thinks it's important. Second Peter, we'll end with this. You stand. Chapter 3, verse 8 and 10. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works are in them, the works that are in them will be burned up. Father, may we be about your business, not our own, as we wait for your return. Lord, may we receive these blessings that are spoken here. God, as we receive your word and these prophecies as truth and then live our lives by them. Father, give us boldness in the time that we live in to not be afraid of the lies, to stand in the truth. Lord, to, to be your servants, God, um, even when the world around us is trying to stop us from serving you. And Lord, to stop us from preaching the gospel message of salvation by grace. Lord, you desire people to be saved, and we know that's what you're waiting on, is for people to be saved before you come. And Lord, we do cry out, God, that you would come and take us to be with you. And Lord, we also ask, Lord, that you would continue to use us until that time. Lord, we all have friends, we all have family members, Lord, and neighbors and co-workers, those who we care about, those people who you love, who have yet not repented and come to faith. And we pray, Lord, now that they would, that you would keep working on them. 
that you would use us in the, in the circle that we're in and in those people that we love who are now outside of the circle of our influence, Lord, that you would send others where they are at and, and in their world, Lord, that they would step in and love them the way that you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.